on this episode of the Alt Normal. Normal. Um, if you truly believe in the ethos behind all of this, um, the power of, of representation, the importance of building an equitable process and creating inclusion, whether it's in the hiring process or your team, you are likely to be someone who is going to be not only a, an incredible inclusive hirer, but, a, but also an empowering manager. Another coronavirus vaccine has shown to be highly effective. Welcome to the Alt Normal, an exploration of the diverse voices on planet Earth. Joe Biden will become president of the United States. Doing the critical work of rebuilding a healthier, more sustainable alternative future. At the intersection of self, community, and the planet. We live in uncertain times. Powerful moment of revolution. How we choose to steer the path will determine what kind of alt-normal we consciously remake together. Everyone has a part to play. Let's rise. Shift and support this exciting new reality in the making. The alt-normal. Hi, I'm Tiffany Wen, the host of The Alt-Normal. This is a show that centers embodied integration as the absolutely critical force for rebuilding this post-pandemic world that's ever more sustainable, diverse, and inclusive. Culture needs a rebrand that goes deep at the core of who we are in the integration of our rich diversity, complexity, and emerging alternative paradigms. Let's be real. We are in a crisis of consciousness realizing that the only way to change things out there is to first change things in here. The power structures and institutions can only take us so far. To see a world that's diverse and inclusive for all actually requires us to change from the inside out, shifting into actionable models of power with one another versus power over one another. Now more than ever, we need a new story for humanity that leans into the diversity of who we are and our emerging zones of genius to live more truthfully in how we relate to ourselves, our community, and the planet. So let's pick up those forgotten pieces of ourselves to rebrand our story of humanity from one of separation to one of integration. We're talking integration of the mind with the body, the scientific with the spiritual, strategy with emergence, and the individual with the collective. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow, a methodology that powers our core capabilities in branding and content creation. Our mission is to design resonance between brands and their most valuable audience to drive the greatest possible impact. After 20 plus years of working in New York City and Milan for Fortune 500 companies in marketing and advertising, we decided to take the big leap and make a fundamental shift in how we work and bring brand stories to life. The Alt Normal is recorded at Destination Outpost, a co-living and co-working community based out in Bali. They have amazing spaces located in Ubud and Chenggu that enable people to live and work from paradise, encouraging people to live differently so they can work from beautiful destinations 
and build strong connections with others on a similar path through life. And with that, I am so excited to introduce our guest today, Arthur Woods, who is a longtime friend of mine, and he is just creating what I see is probably the most important thing right now. Um, So with that, Arthur Woods is a social entrepreneur working at the intersection of equity, inclusion, and technology. He was named to Forbes 30 Under 30 and 40 Under 40 by BEQ. He's the author of Hiring for Diversity, a three-times TEDx speaker, and has advised leading brands from Disney, Sonos, and MetLife to the Smithsonian. He is the co-founder of Matheson, a talent marketplace helping employers recruit and retain professionals from underrepresented communities globally. That's so exciting. I didn't realize it was globally. So Arthur is the creator of the first Equal Hiring Index to assess how to drive inclusive hiring practices for organizations. Arthur came from Google, where he led operations for YouTube's education division and oversaw YouTube for schools. Arthur previously co-founded Imperative, leading social learning platform, Out in Tech, the largest global LGBTQ technology community, and Social Impact 360, a collegiate social enterprise education program. Arthur, what a freaking honor. Well, I'm just inspired. I just want to hear you speak, Tiffany. I, 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 everything you just said was wow. Just, just rocking the house. I love it. Oh, rocking the house. I'm just like, man. I don't know how one human can just create so much impact. And you know, I've I've known you for a few years now, and I kind of want to sort of explore this evolution that you've made in your life, starting with. Um, a brilliant TED Talk that you gave in 2016. And the title of that TED Talk was called, What If We All Had Superpowers? And you talk a lot about the power of purpose to mobilize our inner superheroes. In other words, how can people in their purpose be in their power, become better members of society, make an actual difference that has impact, and truly live life from a place of abundance over scarcity, which doesn't just affect our professional selves, but it has the capacity to affect our whole selves. So, you know, kind of bridging where you sit now with where you were then and knowing what we know about inequality, about systemic racism, about how all that stuff trickles down into every system that we know. Do you feel, I'd like to open with a question more broadly, do you feel that all the superheroes that inhabit this earth um, are created equal and have the same opportunity to find their true purpose in how they show up and work? Wow. Wow. What a, what a, what a profound starting question. Um, Well, first of all, just, I, I want to, I want to just say what what an incredible um, space you've created here and what a thoughtful um, way that you framed all of this. I just, I think it's what the world needs right now. I think this year has woken us up to, um, just the urgency for everything, the intersectionality of everything that you've been discussing. And I, and I really just appreciate this time with you. So thank you. Um, I, you know, 
getting to the heart of your question, I think the inter, the the interconnectivity of of sort of my journey in all of this, because in some ways I I felt as though it's been very circuitous, and in other ways it's actually been completely interconnected. And I think it all starts from the fact that um, we are we are not all um, walking into systems that are equitable. We do not all. Uh, we are not all born into a world where we are given the same opportunities and afforded the same uh, the same treatment. And I believe each of us does harness um, equal potential um, in our own journeys and our own spiritual journeys. Um, but I do not believe we each find ourselves in systems that are equitable. And I think we we know that it's this systemic inequality, whether it's in the workplace or it's in um, in society, in in the economy, um, that does mean that uh, there are there there is gross inequality that exists in this world. Um, and I personally believe that we have an opportunity as leaders to create environments that empower people to bring out the best in themselves, um, and to create systems that ensure that we all can thrive and that there is a level of equity um, and that we celebrate a richness of, of rep representation that doesn't exist today. Um, and I, I do believe, what I really love about everything you said, and I, you know, we're in the middle of writing this new book right now called Hiring for Diversity. And um, we're, we're talking about systems and about you know, our, our hiring process and policies and practices. And everything that we're exploring goes back to the simple notion that this all starts with a journey within. Every single thing that we can do, if it's, if it's in, in, in pursuit of creating a more equitable world or a more equitable workforce, starts with a journey that we each have within ourselves as leaders, as, a, as aspiring or as existing leaders. And I love that you started there because uh, that truly is the, the orientation. Um, it's so easy to sort of defer everything else to our organizations and to our systems and to almost blame what's happening on, on those. But the journey starts with each of us as individuals. And that, actually, that, that I think is the synchronicity with the TED Talk and, and even some of the work that I find myself doing now um, is this idea that I, I, I am a firm believer, I think, as you are, Tiffany, that we each have the opportunity to unlock our own potential, and we have a responsibility when we do to enable others to do the same. Um, and I felt that it was a, it was a, a, it's a travesty that if we look at the workforce today, not only is the, there a great deal of inequality, um, but we have, a, we have a workforce today where the vast majority of people, two-thirds of the, the workforce, don't find a sense of enrichment and fulfillment in what they do every day. And if we think about the trickle-down impact of that, that means that um, people don't show up as their best selves. That means they're not, they're not only likely not making an impact in what they do, but they're not servants to the world and, and they're not, they're not you know, really sort of making an impact on society. And um, you know, I, I felt as though that really had to change. And I think a lot of it does come down to the simple notion that we are, um, you know, we, we, we all are um, witnessing a, a gross deal of inequity that we, we have an opportunity to change. Oh, yes. It's just, you can't have this conversation without getting personal. And I think the way that you language this, it feels accessible and it feels real and it feels applicable to 
every kind of person, which is, you know, a safe space. And I, I feel like that's important in order to even inch a little bit forward. And I think it ties beautifully into this concept of intersectionality, which you've demonstrated through your own personal journey. And so I want to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion and its sort of evolution and how it's it's evolved over time. And I read um, this article that you wrote this year in Fast Company called This Crisis is a Chance at Diversity and Inclusion Progress. Here's how to keep your workplace moving forward. And I just want to extract a little excerpt from that and then we can go from there. So you wrote that the changed practices, cultural dynamics, and technological innovation pushed forward by the pandemic responses have forced us to rewrite the playbook on work and give leaders a unique chance to propel their diversity efforts further that they have ever seen. Um, so no matter under what pressured circumstances it occurs, forced innovation is innovation nevertheless. And so can you talk to us a little bit about this forced innovation, maybe going a little bit deeper? And do you feel like it has the potential to last and really become integrated in new leadership models going forward. Absolutely. So, you know, I, th I think if there's one thing this year we can all agree uh, amounted to was an extraordinary degree of change, right? And that change was in a number of, of, of ways, right? Um, the first was in the medium of our work. It was, it was the fact that we are, we, you look, you're, you're leading a podcast in Bali right now. That's, that's amazing, right? Um, this is a normal thing now. Um, so we are we are now working in a in a virtual way. That's all pretty obvious. Um, but that change also was in the form of a mindset shift. Um, our mindset, um, first of all, around the fact that you know the old ways of doing things could be disrupted, and that even just propensity to change was um, was actually pretty extraordinary. The fact that we were we were open to change. Um, there was a mindset shift around the urgency of addressing a massive diversity issue that existed in the workforce. Um, we saw a, you know, a, a level of transparency around the gross deal of racial inequality that was existing in this world. Um, and that led to a sense of urgency that we've never seen before in the diversity, equity, inclusion movement. And so I believe that, um, forced innovation. We were, we were forced to innovate and we did innovate. And that led to, and has led to this extraordinary disruption. Um, and, and us fundamentally, you know, starting from scratch on this playbook to say, we, we are writing a whole new chapter on what the new, uh, the new normal of work looks like and what that means in terms of how we work, where we work, why we work. Many people started to question, is this the right job for me? Because I don't find a sense of purpose in it for the first time. Because people were forced to really do some deep reflecting this year, do some soul searching around what matters to me. Wow, you know, I, I witnessed that for the first time, life is not, maybe life is more fragile than I thought. And am I, if, if this is the last thing I was ever doing, is this what I want to be doing? A lot of people ask that, that fundamental question. And and didn't necessarily like the answer, right? Um, and, and so I think all of this together forced us to um, do a lot of rewriting. And, 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 and 
I think also opened us up to the the notion that if, if we had to change some things, we maybe wanted to change other things as well. Um, and I think that that means it was, you know, people physically moving, people spiritually moving, um, people ideologically moving, you know, and I think what that what that really will will mean for us is in many ways, we don't even know all of the disruption that will happen, you know. Um, I think it's still it's still uh, settling in in many ways, and um, and and I and I just I find that exciting. I, I'm a, I'm an optimist in this regard because I think that we are um, we we also just gained a great deal of perspective this year around what what really matters. Yeah, it just takes purpose to another level when you're waking up and facing a global, almost existential crisis because uncertainty is the new, what we call the alt normal, right? It's, it's this new way of being where, you know, this is nature's design anyways, uncertainty, but in the uncertainty, there is so much potential to actually reframe that mindset and ask big questions because only by asking those big questions, can you actually allow yourself to receive big answers? If you never ask the right questions, then you're literally giving power to someone else or to something else because you assume that they have answers. So why bother even asking the question? Yeah. Right? That's right. That's right. (laughs) So I feel like the question is just the most important thing. And, you know, what you've created with Matheson, which we'll get into a little bit later, I think it's giving people that permission field or space or context to even feel safe to ask a question, to know and trust that there will be some higher answer on the other side. But it only starts with the question. Um, So, yeah, kind of like digging even deeper into diversity, equity, and inclusion. There was another article in Fast Company by someone else whose name I'm not remembering, but he or she, I have to find out, or they, talks about how diversity isn't just enough, right? Like equity and inclusion, I feel like are usually the two that are tacked on, but not everyone really even knows how do I build equity or inclusion and operationalize those words so they land in the moment-to-moment day-to-day down to the very unit of work all the way through to the felt sense of culture, those intangibles, right? And that's a whole upheaval and shift that I think is just starting to take hold. But maybe I'll read a little excerpt just to set the space. So um, this person writes, What has become clear is that many companies still have no idea what they're doing when it comes to addressing DEI. They're eager to state good intentions and rest on the laurels of a donation and a relevant nonprofit organization, but demonstrate disinterest in really doing the work to build diverse teams, create an inclusive culture, and drive equity through their products and services. So, you know, that's bold. And I think it's really true. And I would love to hear from you in this sort of DEI triad, which one, like, first of all, what are these things to you? And then which one do you feel like presents the greatest challenges at the moment? And why? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, the the notion of today is, and, and what I what I really believe is that um, 2020 was the year fundamentally of many people gaining awareness. And, and whether intent existed already, intent really manifested 
um, in that awareness that we built. If we look at DEI, um, there is there is no lack of intent today. But the, the real question is if we can go from intent to impact. And organizations today and leaders today have to really ask themselves if it's if intent is enough or if they really are are aspiring for impact. And we need impact. Um, and I really believe that there are you know different degrees of how we achieve that. And a lot of it is that we gain, you know, we we gain awareness, we 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 set like measurable goals and we take action, right? And and then we actually not only do so in the context of our own work, but we actually empower others to do the same, which is really what what leadership entails in this work. But when we break down DEI, it, it, I think the distinction is really important. And um, it, it's easy to, to, to paint broad strokes and to say it's just about diversity. It really isn't. Um, you know, for, 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 for me, for us, diversity is fundamentally about representation, right? And if we look at, you know, our, our vision with Mathis, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, is that we have a workforce at all levels that's equally representative of society. And if we think about society overall, the rich, the rich representation, diverse representation of society, it isn't equally reflected in the workforce, especially the more senior that you go. Um, and that, that, is, that has to change. And that is diversity, right? Um, it's, that, it's that representation. Um, equity is about ensuring that when we're building our systems and when we're creating our organizations, they, they are fair and they are just. And that people um, walk in, or in a, regardless of who they are and where they come from, they're empowered with the same level of justice and fairness that everyone else experiences. And today we know that that's not the case. And that whether it's bias on the part of individuals or on the part of systems that we've designed, people aren't experiencing a degree of justice and equity. Um, and we can take a systemic operational approach to change that, right? Um, inclusion is that you feel empowered to be yourself and that you, you feel a sense of belonging. And that once you, you, you're in that organization, um, you, are, uh, you, 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 you believe that you're part of that community. Um, and, you know, there's such a degree of covering still and, and, uh, so many, or so many individuals who, who don't feel, um, empowered to be themselves or a sense of belonging that, uh, we have to look at that, that sentiment of, are you included? Are you building a, a, you know, a culture that empowers people to, to, to belong, right? Um, and the interconnection of these three, I mean, they, they're, they're in the Venn diagram. They, they, they swirl together. They're, they're interconnected, interdependent. Um, but I, I, I do believe the distinction um, is really important. And for us, you know, we believe that um, in order to achieve this, uh, we, in order to achieve a, a DEI vision that goes from intent to impact, we have to um, get out of our concentric circles and we have to access communities and create inroads and bridges to communities we don't normally recruit from, right? We have to look, um, you know, with, with a, uh, an intent and, and I, I think uh, intent and, uh, you know, committed eye to our systems to build equity into the way that we, we, we lead our organizations and our talent processes specifically. Um, and then we have to empower leaders to um, really build a sense of, of belonging and inclusion on their teams. And, and unless we're doing all of these things, we're, we're, you know, we believe the system will fail. Um, and largely it comes from a mindset shift among the people that we employ. Whew, man, it's really disrupting um, 
a culture from the minutest detail all the way to the top. And, you know, you you kind of took us on a ride there of what needs to change. And I think this is a good place to sort of shift into Matheson specifically and this new tool, this new marketplace that you've created to bridge companies, leaders, organizations, and the the, the people that are most underrepresented um, who want to be part of creating this new culture. And so, you know, I I read in a recent McKinsey report that you know, they've measured the actual impact of organizations that are not just embracing intent, but action. And I mean, this this research is still relatively new, I think, because there hasn't been enough time to really measure long-term success. But they said that the the evidence is out and the latest like numbers, the analysis reaffirms the strong business case for both gender diversity and ethnic and cultural diversity in corporate leadership and shows that this business case continues to strengthen, yay, Um, and the most diverse companies are now more likely than ever to outperform less diverse peers on profitability. So like for those who, you know, operate a little bit more rationally and analytically, like we have the numbers and the numbers and the story and the movement are kind of all tracking and parallel pathing towards the same direction, right? So since that is the case, though, like in your work with Matheson, like how how what's the biggest like block for for leaders or challenge? And then how do you guys respond to that? And maybe if you want to like paint a picture of that magic that you create that really takes someone on that ride from one mindset to another, whether that's at the leadership level or even down to a more junior level, because everyone is part of this. Everyone has responsibility. You know, I'd love to hear about that. Well, I, you know, I, th- I think the first the first thing we found when we first were launching Matheson is, is that, you know, to date, if we look back a decade ago when there were early innovations in the diversity, equity, inclusion space, um, overall, none of them really worked, you know, and I think a lot of what you saw was single point or single community approaches to say, we're just going to help. We're just going to focus on this one piece of the puzzle or this one very specific community. We're not going to take a very holistic approach or a systemic approach. And so what it meant was that an an employer would do one little thing or work with one group, and it wouldn't really be anything that was um, substantial. Or, or, or integrated or holistic. And, um, and, and, and therefore, it didn't really make much of a difference. And if we break down you know, the, the challenges that organizations face, right? if we go back to kind of DEI overall, today, organizations recruit out of their concentric circles. right? For the most part, we each have our own you know, network. And it's in our comfort zone to just go to that network. You know, that network typically looks a lot like we do. Therefore, the homogenous uh, pattern of recruitment sort of perpetuates, right? Um, and from there, well, even even when we successfully do reach new communities, it's very se- seldom that any organization has looked at their actual um, journey of an of an individual in the hiring process, right? To ask critically, how does that person feel when they walk into our hiring process? Are they empowered? Do they feel included? Do they, have we taken every step possible to ensure they don't experience bias? 
or that they they're they they had the most equitable experience going through the process to ensure that they advance successfully regardless of which community that they're from and by the way they're empowered to represent the community that they're from because we're so inclusive and the truth is most of the time even with the best of intent most organizations have thought very little about any of that um and then at the end of that process or within the process we have individuals within our organizations who many times aren't aware of the very communities that they could be recruiting from and they have their own degree of bias and they're making decisions every day that could lack awareness or could be um, impeding them from making the most inclusive decisions and if we take this all together there there are many systemic issues in that in that description that are the reason most organizations do not change in terms of their diversity or inclusion and so for us we decided to take a very systemic approach and we said let's start with the systems let's actually before we even start talking about diversity hiring let's let's look fundamentally at our systems and let's let's take a step throughout the candidate experience and look at every single thing that a company could possibly be doing to ensure that individuals that walk into the hiring process feel empowered feel that there's transparency around the activities of the organization, experience the least degree of bias, have the greatest degree of accessibility in the process, and, um, and, and, and experience equity in, in the whole experience. And what we realized was there were about 32 different factors in the whole life cycle of a candidate journey and after making a hire in the employee experience that could influence a diverse candidate and then employee from not, not only not getting a job, but not staying once they do. And we decided to build that into an assessment called our Equal Hiring Index. Um, and that is uh, the way that we onboard every employer partner. Uh, we ask them to go through this assessment to understand where they're doing well, where they have an opportunity to improve, and to get the roadmap for building the most equitable experience for everyone. And we think that from a process standpoint can start to be, can, can make this ethereal, you know, kind of comprehensive uh, effort extremely accessible within like 30 minutes right that's our goal um from there what we do is you know we we've developed training resources and and um and and tools that are all about shifting behavior and building awareness um among among um the team so that individuals within our hiring process that are making hiring decisions um have the greatest level of awareness and and sort of skills at their fingertips um, but most importantly, what we do is we partner with social sector organizations, which we call community partners. And these are typically nonprofits and membership groups. And our whole model is to lift their communities and to connect them to job, job, uh, to, to job, uh, you know, basically seeking employers who are uh, looking to recruit. And we've created this marketplace that is about elevating all of these great communities and their job seekers um, to help employers cast a wider net in their hiring. And in our model, what we've actually done is we've created a model where um, if you as an employer hire someone from our system, from one of these amazing nonprofit communities, we give back to the communities a portion of our profits. So for us, um, it's not only about creating equitable hiring processes, elevating the awareness of individuals in our process, but it's about helping employers um, diversify their pipeline of, of hiring and um, reinvesting in the community in the process. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> it all feeds into each other. And, um, you know, that's been a really big part of the conversation, especially after 
um, the events of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor when Black Lives Matter became really front and center and no one was really left behind. I think everyone really saw it for what it was and decided I need to really show up um, in my own way to be an activist uh, for um, equality and justice. But yeah, money and where you put your money and how you invest are also measures of DEI. And so it's like no action can kind of slip through the cracks here. Everything is being evaluated and transparently um, witnessed, I think, throughout this process. And you know, you, Matheson, um, you guys focus primarily on hiring and retention, right? And you talked about the life cycle with these 32 different touch points that you guys really hone in on. And I'm, you know, that's a really fascinating process to me. And I'm wondering, too, because that really is sort of the beginning part of the journey of bringing someone on board to have a purposeful experience in the workforce. Do you feel like, um, like, the methodology that you've created for hiring and retaining can then impact how leaders in different departments start to carry over or transfer some of the thinking into how they lead teams and actually do the work once people are rehired. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, if, if we were to simply just, you know, laser focus on hiring without accounting for the fact that you know, empowering people to advance when they're there and, and ensuring that we're creating cultures of belonging, um, you know, it, we, we would be missing a huge part of this equation, you know? So our, our belief is, is it really gets back to the start of our conversation, honestly, Tiffany, that we can get as organizational and operational as possible with this. But the truth is this entire model is about leaders. It's about reaching the hearts and minds of leaders and empowering them with the tools and the awareness and the capabilities to, to actualize this work. And, um, and in fact, that's really our theory of change is that um, none of this work will work. You could have the coolest, most progressive organization that wins all of the awards, and none of this work will work without the leaders that are in that organization being empowered to, you know, to rise to the occasion, right? And that, that awareness and that behavior change and that action um, not only translates in the form of hiring, it translates in the form of, of empowering your team. Um, and we don't believe there it, it's an either or, it's a continuation. You know, um, if you truly believe in, in these, in, in the, in the, you know, sort of the, uh, the ethos behind all of this, um, the power of, of representation, um, you know, the, the importance of building an equitable process and, and, you know, creating inclusion, whether it's in the hiring process or your team, um, you are likely to be someone who is going to be not only uh, an incredible inclusive hirer, but but also an empowering manager. And that's kind of our our, our vision is that, you know, we want to make sure that's the case. Um, I think, you know, our, our foot in the door, kind of our Trojan horse, if you will, is the hiring process because there's such an urgency here and um, organizations are having so much trouble with it that it's kind of our foot in the door, Right. But when we're there, we're finding that we we are you know we're blessed to to have an influence over the culture, what's happening in in the organization, what the, you know the mindset of leaders, the decisions that they're making, how they're you know how aware they are, right? These are all things I think we believe we can influence. 
Yeah, you're right. It is a foot in the door and we have to start somewhere. And that really is the space where I think most people are uh, looking around trying to find answers. But then once you, it's like a gateway, right? Once you open that door, then all these other questions start to filter in. And I just want to read off some of them that were in that previous Fast Article company. And I'm like, hmm, these are really good questions. So questions like, have you considered the composition of your customer base and how to reach new user profiles? Um, have you examined your marketing materials and ensured that they demonstrate cultural competence? You know, have you thought about how to build products using inclusive design principles? Um, not something that you really learn about, you know, 10 years ago in design school or in communication school. Uh, have you quantified the impact of your product or service on underserved communities? I mean, they're fabulous questions. And it's just interesting that I personally haven't heard them um, in the workforce and only now are they coming out. It's like, that just seems so obvious, but I guess that's just where we're at. Yeah, they do. They do. But, but again, I, I think it gets back to the notion that we, you know, if we compartmentalize this work and if we say, well, that's a different swim lane, we miss the fact that, you know, the, the, the ethos of all of this, whether it's, you know, whether it's our customers, it's our people, it's, it's, it's our products, it is really all, all our community. And if we step back and we look at, you know, if we think of, organizations is truly the purpose of an organization is to deliver value to a community. Um, we have to ensure that that diversity, that richness of diversity, equity, inclusion extends not only to the people we employ within that community, but also the people that we serve. And that's our customers. And I do believe that there is a great synchronicity there. And I, I think that's also why, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion in its most strategic essence is translated and it's pervasive in what we deliver, who we deliver it to and the people that deliver it. Right. Um, and, and that is, I think that's a beautiful thing. And it actually, it's, it's actually, if anything, simple, it, it creates a, a level of simplicity. Um, and that's actually what's, what's interesting about that is I used to think for the longest time, you know, that we, we, you know, when we were writing about purpose, we would talk about like the science of purpose. And there's, there's a lot of, you know, of neuroscience to, to show that, you know, we're, we're, we are uh, neurologically way more healthy and productive when we are motivated by what we do. And I, and I used to say, you know, we can, we can talk so much about the science and we can overly complicate all of this, but purpose, just like diversity, uh, while it, it, you know, we, we can think of all of the, the complicated scientific explanations, there's a primitive and very simple essence to everything, which is what's, what, what, what matters, you know, and, and what's best for the world and how do we, how do we just bring this to sort of what's right, you know? Um, and, and I think that, that, um, there's something kind of profound about the simplicity and 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 primitive state of all of this that that just sort sort of makes sense. And yet, it's it's so ironic that despite how logical all of this is and how how simple it all is, it hasn't been actualized to date. Right, the level of inequity that has existed, especially in the workforce, um, hasn't ever really fully been successfully addressed. And I think now is the moment where we have the real opportunity to change that. Oh, yeah, it touches at the heart. You know, the simplicity, the word that comes to mind is humanity. It's our shared humanity. It's that, you know, we've all experienced that, you know, I'm just going to say the word love, right? With your family, with your loved ones, with your close ones. And but just scaling that 
energy or that um, experience of being and existing in the world to people that you would otherwise categorize or compartmentalize or put off to the side because, you know, we live in a world that um, is grounded in separation. And this new story that's emerging, Charles Eisenstein, which is a great thinker in this space, is trying to help us sort of bring the story back into uh, integration and wholeness, because that's where creativity lies when we, you know, kind of strip those barriers and really ask ourselves humanity based questions. And, um, you know, I, uh, I and I love this, you know, I love everything that you've shared. And I would love for you, if you could maybe like recall um, a partnership that you've had with Matheson um, or, you know, a conversation or a specific organization that you've worked with where you saw a beautiful change and you saw the mindset shift happening at the level of leadership and what that looked like and what that meant to you having started this. Yeah, there there are so many, you know, I think of like one of our earliest partners, HelloFresh. Um, I think everyone knows that, you know, they're, they're an amazing organization and they were growing so quickly. And just to see that they went from you know, this notion of diversity is on our radar and it's something that's important to us to, this is something we're systemically acting on. And I saw this incredible just embracing of these concepts, but, but put into practice in their systems and in their practices and in what their leadership team began to talk about. Um, and the, the way that they were conducting their town halls and the way that they were looking at their hiring process critically. And I just saw a massive transformation there in, in under a year. It was incredible. Um, and I take an organization, like even just something tactical, like, you know, we've been working with the music company Sonos. Um, love them. They're incredible. They're such a quality company. And, you know, they've been such a thoughtful company and, you, and everyone knows that from the way they built their brand and the way they build their products. It's like some of the highest quality products I've ever had. Um, and they realized, wow, you know, we have just this immediate low-hanging fruit opportunity around, um, looking at our interview process and making sure that we're just as thoughtful in our interviews as we are in the way that we build our products. And they realized we had, you know, some interviews that weren't very structured and that, that could lead to some bias, you know, and they took some very thoughtful steps to build a whole scorecard and structured interview process and have rolled out like with us some training to make sure that folks are, um, you know, empowered and feel, feel comfortable taking this much more structured approach, which is all about not like limiting creativity, but creating a framework so that um, there are guardrails to ensure that your, your interview can be just as, you know, have just as much humanity and creativity as it, as it had before, but within, a, within a, a context that is going to be equitable for everyone, right? And, um, and that's, I think, what's really interesting is this work doesn't require a seismic shift overnight. It could, it could, it could really see change and impact in some of the most incremental ways that are just at a single point in, 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 the, in the process, right? Um, and that is progress. That's really cool. And it's measurable, right? Um, we're at this moment where this work, um, you know, we can see true results from this work by getting clear on what we have the opportunity to change and then making that change. Um, and and I, I think that's really where we start to see a movement take off is that when we can say, wow, there, there, are, there are opportunities where we can see change and we're going to act on them and we're going to encourage the people around us to do the same. And then we're going to tell the story about it. 
Yeah. And it's not something, you know, that's front and center, like the actual product of Sonos or, you know, a big campaign that, you know, you see on TV. It's it's what's behind the scenes, what's typically invisible to the consumer's eye. Um, but that's the kind of stuff that I feel like consumers are getting smart about. They want to know about that. That's what matters now. And all the questions are coming to the surface. And so that that's a beautiful story. And I, I love that we're talking about leadership. And I'd like to just take a look now at the, the workforce, right? These underrepresented communities that you are really bringing visibility to. And you do so beautifully on your website, if I might say so myself. And um, you really, yeah, capture the spectrum and diversity of who's in the room here. And I would love for you to just tell us a little bit about who these groups are, ethnically or otherwise, and which ones have you seen systemically as being the furthest away from being able to experience healthy inclusion or even just being able to be hired in the first place? Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we represent uh, over a dozen underrepresented uh, audiences. And part of you know our work is, and part of our mission is to help leaders understand and embrace a, a, an inclusive definition of diversity. Because one of the most fundamental challenges in our space is that we do not actually have an inclusive definition of diversity today. Um, if you ask two leaders, what do you actually mean by diverse? You will, you will usually hear two very different answers, and that's an issue. So um, today, you know, our communities uh, represent or span everything from uh, communities of color, the LGBTQ community, um, people with disabilities, all the way to formerly incarcerated individuals, first-generation job seekers, um, uh, refugees and immigrants, right? Um, and so we start to, to, to add these groups up. Um, and we realized that, uh, first of all, um, each of these groups um, should not just purely be defined as a diverse community. Each of these groups um, faces a different set of challenges, uh, faces a different set of micro inequities, you know, um, faces different kinds of bias in the hiring process. Um, just to zoom in on one, you know, one of the groups that we're really proud to represent is older and experienced workers. We have a great collaboration with AARP. And um, older and experienced workers, uh, you know, I think only about 6% of the time are included in an organization's diversity strategy. Um, yet, you know, they are, you know, soon to represent 25% of the population. And um, at this point, you know, are grossly underrepresented in uh, the technology sector, uh, like many others, and face a ton of bias. In fact, get oftentimes screened out immediately in the hiring process. Or you take the uh, disability community, and um, you know there is a nearly seventy percent unemployment rate of of individuals with disabilities in the community, um, which is which is really surprising, right? So each of the different communities that we support, um, we believe, uh, has to, we have to tell the story of these communities. We have to really build awareness. We can't paint the picture in broad strokes. We have to really get into the nuances of these different communities, and. We've, we've worked to build partnerships across the board, and we see it as our mission to not only elevate the job seekers from these groups themselves, but, but you know, I think even like, equally importantly, to elevate the awareness around the communities. Because if we successfully recruit a job seeker from, from one of these communities, that job seeker won't at all be successful if there's, there's not awareness that follows with how to build 
uh, an equitable experience and an inclusive culture for that person. Um, and that's really why this like education and change management piece, they all flow together, right? It, you know, I can't, it's not just about sending people warm bodies. It's about changing the mindset um, with which they are hired, you know? And it makes the model all the more complicated, but it's the interconnectivity, the integration, as you said earlier, of, of, of doing this work that's, that's critical to it being successful. You know, there's so much thoughtfulness around looking at each group specifically and asking what have been their challenges. And let me just take off my biased sunglasses and just bring no assumptions into this question and just listen and just try to understand what the reality is and then start to bring all those different pieces together uh, to allow inclusion to happen in a way that really benefits the person who has experienced the challenges and not sort of re-traumatize or re-harm or, or bring anything that's going to keep them segregated um, in a bubble where they can't have access. Wow. And it seems like you said there's so many disciplines that touch this. And that's why it's such an exciting space because you really can't do it alone. You need these partnerships. You need the mindset change. You need uh, cultural competency. It's like all these different strands that were perhaps siloed in the past that need to come together to actually solve this problem. Because like you pointed out earlier, you know, 10 years ago in the tech space, all those practices around diversity were failing for some reason. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, uh, Yes, I want to sort of shift into kind of envisioning and forecasting, which is very timely because I just saw right before we got on this call that uh, Matheson released um, a forecasting uh, report about 2020 versus 2021. So perhaps you can bring some of this thinking into this next question. So um, you guys wrote a blog post and you talked about how so much of the DEI work is still widely emerging. So I just want to read a little excerpt and then we can sort of build on there. So you said, and you've said before, there is not a notable playbook of success with longitudinal case studies in this space. We're all still co-authoring that playbook together as we speak. This means that the work demands out-of-the-box thinking and is hindered by us ever limiting from experimenting with new approaches, experimenting. So as a leader, Set the tone that there is no bad idea in the pursuit of DEI. This will inspire your people to embrace the most creative and unconventional ideas to further the diversity efforts at your organization. And I just love those words, experimenting and just trying to give leaders permission to mess up or be clumsy, but just have that heartfelt intention to just move the needle because it really depends on leadership to take that first step and all of us also becoming our own inner leaders, but then being able to move together in this sort of complex organism of an organization. So given that, and then given this new report that you guys just um, shared, what do you see you know, going into 2021 or even like five, 10 years from now, whichever timeline feels best for you to speak from, what do you see DEI culture looking like in the future? It's a great question. Um, I, I, first of all, I see that DEI culture in the future, if it really is successful, is not just owned by some or one individual in the organization. In order for this work to really work, it has to be mutually owned across the organization. And I think that's really critical that, you know, the leadership team of an, or, of, of an organization has to 
take responsibility. Um, hiring managers have to take responsibility. Individuals, individual contributors have to take responsibility. It has to be a collective effort for it to work. Um, I believe that we are going to reach a point where communities um, each find their own voice within the organization. And whether that's through the, the, the lens of, you know, employee resource groups, which have been around or, or not, right? Um, that, that we're going to see this, you know, sort of surge of psychological safety that empowers people where there isn't awareness to speak up and to, to build awareness. Um, and, and the hope I believe is that, um, when, when, when bad behavior is observed or lack of awareness is observed, that individuals increasingly feel empowered to speak up. And I think a lot of the challenges we've seen today have been because, have been caused by the fact that when something was noticed that was wrong, um, individuals either didn't feel empowered to speak up um, or there wasn't, a, an app, there wasn't a, a vehicle for them to speak up around, right? And I think that all, you know, we're seeing, if anything that this year taught us, it's that um, people have been empowered to use their voice. And that's amazing. I think that's that's a lot of what has led to some extraordinary change we've witnessed, right? Um, I believe that we're now, you know, a, a general trend, a very short-term trend is we're moving from intent to impact, from awareness to action, right? Um, and that is, you know, the rhetoric has to stop and we have to just start acting. And we we can no longer rest on the laurels or use excuses that, well, I'm, you know, it's, 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 it's my organization. It's not me. First of all, we all know this starts with each of us as individuals. There are things we can each do that don't rely on our organizations to advance this movement, right? Um, I don't believe a leader can get away with saying, well, my organization is not doing enough, so it's their fault. No, you as an individual, you as a leader have the opportunity to act. Um, I also believe that we're in a moment where the work doesn't require um, tremendous resources. And what I mean by that is both in terms of time and money, those are no longer obstacles to embarking on this work. There is no reason in, in, in a leader within an organization with a little bit of ingenuity and some passion for this work cannot mobilize change. Um, money and time are not barriers anymore. Um, it, it, it's, it's all about intent and it's about translating that into impact, right? Um, and, and I also believe the final thing that I'll say is I don't think any of this work is, it is being done or will be done in silos. I don't think that what, what's working for one organization will stay proprietary and closed. I think we're building a learning community that sort of collectively believes that all the boats rise with the tides. And this is something we're very much trying to foster. And I think that the, the world has the opportunity to foster, which is when something works, let's build a learning community to ensure that it's shared. And let's make sure that, that we're not at all closing insights and opportunities and resources off because if something works for one group and one organization, it could work for many others. Mm, yeah, you know, it's about dissolving those perceived barriers, time and money, which as, you know, a leader of a business, like have to consider those uh, variables. But as we've seen with like the rise of B Corps and also the rise of, um, DEI um, being activated in workspaces, we're seeing that there there is this movement forward, um, but it can accelerate. Understanding that it's not this seismic shift that needs to happen all at once, and you know, because that that can be scary for someone who has to run a tight ship operationally and like keep, you know, keep sales going, keep uh, 
um, you know, stakeholders and shareholders happy. And, you know, that's like a whole education. <laughs> I mean, we can even go so far to say, you know, in, you know, in business schools or in the way this, in which people are learning about leadership, how do they consider um, DEI throughout all this? Because it's not compartmentalized or siloed as we keep talking about. It's very much imbued in the way that we exist. So this is a very universal, um, I don't even, topic just sounds like too unpersonalized, but it just feels like um, it doesn't make sense to exist separately anymore. How did it ever exist separately at all? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it, um, you're right. It, it has to be pervasive in the way that we see ourselves as leaders. It has to be pervasive in the way that we look at our organizations. I think that it honestly was born out of a, uh, it, it sort of snuck its, its, its way into organizations in a way that was not very widespread and it became compartmentalized. And now we've, we've realized we have to elevate it and we have to mutually share it. And I mean, it has to be everyone and not just, just some, you know, uh, and that's a, that's a change for many organizations. And I think it's a, it's a mindset, mindset shift for many leaders. Yes, absolutely. And I just want to touch a little bit on power here. Um, there's this organization called Cultivating Leadership. And one of the leaders uh, said that leading inclusively is about understanding our relationship to power and being intentional about using it for good. So it doesn't help to ignore power when we engage across differences. We don't presume what power is in the space and who has it. We find out together, which circles back to your point about just being able to drop into the human first, right? Understanding your role. But then as a human, how can you just start to ask the right questions to bring power out of like, I have power over you and more into having power with each other so that we can have productive conversations that benefit all of us and then ultimately the organization. Um, so, you know, when you think about power and what you just said, you know, how do you see power shifting as we move forward into the new year and into five, 10 years from now? Like, is power power over or is power something else? That's a great question. You know, power... Um you're right. I mean, if we, if we look at, you know, sort of the, truly the, the, uh, you know, the theory behind inequity, um, you know, inequity is, is, is sort of sourced from the idea that there is an imbalance of power. And, you know, um, as, as, as someone who's sort of the victim, you're experiencing, uh, an imbalance, that imbalance and you're the victim of it. Right. Um, and I, I, I think the way that we look at power, I think is in a few, a few areas. The first is that we, in, in, in democratizing this work, we're shifting the power to be about the community, that the community itself owns and governs this work and is responsible for it. And it's not simply just the leaders leadership. It's not just one, one person, um, in, 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 in building a representative organization that is diverse, it is actually, you know, in essence about, you know, sort of, uh, I would say sharing power and saying that it, we need power among all communities and that, that has to be equally represented. Um, and, you know, in general, I think that we're, you know, we, we, we have to kind of ask fundamentally about like what success looks like long-term, but I would say that, um, you know, it, the power shift it, it is truly about us all uh, having a degree of, of 
you know, sort of democratization of all of this work. And, um, and, and I, you know, again, I kind of just go back to that because it, it is even meaning that, you know, the community, if we really, if we really believe in diversity, equity, inclusion, um, in many ways, we're, we're also just sort of co-owning um, this solution moving forward, right? Yeah. And it's, I think it's beautiful to embrace the sort of the fact that if we can't do it all alone, then being okay with this emergence of this co-authorship of what sovereignty looks like individually and collectively and being courageous enough to, again, ask the right questions, which, you know, is um, a very inclusive way to even approach it. And so, and so, you know, I, I want to close this conversation with sort of a two-part question. So, you know, we're talking about leadership and we're talking about these uh, communities, these job seekers that represent diversity. So, you know, to close out, I would love to hear, you know, if you can present a message or a question that a leader who wants to step into their DEY journey, path, power, um, what's something you could share with them? And then conversely, for someone who is in one of these more underserved communities that are seeking jobs, how can they empower themselves? Or what's a message you can share with them to help empower them on their purpose path to DEI? So like the leader and then the member of the community. The, the, the underrepresented community. Yeah. Okay. So for the leader, I would say there, there's, I mean, there's so much we could, we could say in a prescriptive way to leaders, but uh, I, I do think it goes back to what we, we discussed at the very beginning. And that is that this journey for inclusion starts with you and you finding your own voice and you finding it within yourself um, to, 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 to really ask sort of why does this matter to you and how do you authentically access that and translate it into words that are personally meaningful for you. And it is that inner work that leads to the outer work. And I think it's so easy to say, you should just go do this. You should go rewrite this, or you should go source here. But I think it's that inner work of, of finding, you know, but, you know, fundamentally speaking, why is it, you know, what is your own diversity story? And it could be, you know, when you yourself as a leader have experienced a degree of inequity, whether you've observed it or, or, or directly been victim of it, or if you've been silent and you, you should have spoken up, or if you've really found your voice as an ally, right? Or if you are indeed still an underrepresented individual who hasn't found their voice and that, that's an opportunity, but find what your relationship is to all of this. And no one um, has zero relationships. Your relationship is a relationship. And that was something I personally had to really come to terms with this year is I, when, when the, you know, following the death of George Floyd, I realized that I had never publicly spoken about race and my relationship to race. And uh, I wrote a piece, I wrote a, a short, a short um, you know, sort of LinkedIn post um, discussing the fact that as a white man, I've never, I've never come to terms with speaking about race because I always felt like I would say the wrong thing. And that was actually still saying something. Saying the wrong thing was, saying nothing was saying the wrong thing. And I think we all have to find our current, our current, um, you know, constellation with, with the diversity, equity, inclusion movement as leaders, none of us are completely removed from it. We all find ourselves somewhere on that constellation. 
And it's the more that we get clear on where we are on it, that we, we can understand where we can go with it. Um, and I, and I think that's just something that, that a lot of leaders gloss over. And, and especially if they believe that I'm already a, in a particular community, I, I, you know, it's just a given, I don't need to speak about it. No, I think we have to do a lot of work on that as leaders. Where do you find yourself in that constellation? Um, and then you can be very intentional about how you want it, what you want to change and whether you want to, to be a better ally or there's more that you can do, or you figured it out for yourself and for your team and you have a responsibility to help someone else do the same. Right. Um, so I think that's what I, that's what I would say for leaders. It's that inner work and it's probably the most complicated work that starts within it, orienting to that constellation to do, to figure out the work that you want to do. Right. I think for individuals in the community who are, you know, inevitably, um, have had a, you know, a challenging, in, in many cases, quite a challenging time where it's been a roller coaster of going from potentially being, uh, you know, discriminated against um, to potentially being tokenized, to potentially being misunderstood, all of these different emotions. And um, first of all, I think it's important to note that none, no one can probably fully understand or, or truly maybe fully empathize with what an individual has gone through. Um, and even with the greatest in, intentional awareness and conversation, we can never fully grasp what someone else has gone through, right? Um, but I would say that this is a moment where um, you as an individual in the community have an opportunity also to find your voice and to lead and to hopefully feel empowered to be you. And I think be discerning about the organizations where you're choosing to work because you as an individual from an underrepresented community have a responsibility to hold your employers um, accountable for doing the very things that we talked about today. And, and you, when we talk about power, the power is with you. You're the talented job seeker from an underrepresented group um, with a landscape of employers that have made some usually public commitment to inclusion. And we have to hold them accountable to fulfilling that commitment. And uh, that the power actually resides within the job seekers themselves, like you, you know, um, who, who, who are, are, can expect transparency, can expect equity in the process, can expect inclusive leadership and inclusive cultures. Um, and I, I think that, you know, it, it's, a, it's a tough responsibility and it's a shift in behavior because in many cases, I, you know, I hid the fact that I was gay in my very first job interviews. I would never have necessarily um, spoken up about that because I, would, I was afraid back then it would hurt my career. Um, I, I feel way more empowered today to speak up than I did back then, right? Um, and I think that a lot of job seekers are in the same place, but I think the more that we ask these hard questions, the more that we hold employers accountable, um, and, and we, and we, we notice, we take notice of when we experience inequity and we speak up about it, that's how we see change. And that is a beautiful thing because the world is, is, is changing. Mm, it just makes me feel like power is just being in your power. And through your power, can you create ripple effects of power on scales larger than you can possibly imagine? And because this story, this new story that we are co-creating together and Matheson is truly leading the charge, I see you guys really leading people to themselves and their powers so that they can be part of this movement that you are creating collectively. And it really, I, I really appreciate you sharing that last piece about how you were afraid to speak up at one point about your sexual orientation because you just there 
were in your power and giving me indirectly permission to be vulnerable with my own story of diversity and my own story of complexity that wishes to be seen, heard, expressed, and understood in the company of others, not just in my private space. So it's um it's beautiful and I appreciate it. I appreciate you. And actually, I just have to ask one more thing because in the spirit of closing out 2020 and ushering in uh, a new powerful 2021, if you could just name um, your dream partnership, Matheson, and what would that be? I want to go on record on it. <laughs> and if at all possible, I want to help make it happen because I really believe in what you're doing, Arthur. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. T- thank you, Tiffany. You know what? Um, I actually think that uh, my dream partnership is with the White House. And I'll tell you why. Um, I, I believe that, first of all, we're going to have one of the most representative um, diverse and equitable White Houses we've ever seen um, in this next four years. And I also believe that the government, the public sector, which has been um, visibly absent from this conversation for a while, has a real opportunity to, to play a role in shifting policy to hold employers, especially, accountable to do this work. And with that kind of partnership, um, for it to, first of all, be embodied within the public sector, which, by the way, in many cases is also lacking representation. Um, there is an opportunity to embody the work there and then to, 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 to look creatively at policies and practices that change the rules of the game. Because if there's one thing that changes behavior, it's when the rules of the game change, right? And that's something that the public sector can influence. So that would be a really cool collaboration. I think there's a lot of public policy changing in the future. You know, just earlier last year, it was still legal uh, in many states to discriminate against someone if they were gay in the workplace. So we know that uh, there are tremendous policies and practices that still need to change, not only in the United States, but especially abroad. Um, And that is, uh, I think, something that the public sector will have to take responsibility for. That's it. I can see it in the stars. Matheson and the White House 2021. So inspiring, Arthur. And I'm just so proud of you and the work that you're doing. And it's such a privilege to be in conversation with you and to, yeah, just witness the growth of Matheson and this evolution of DEI as a sustainable um, force for culture, for, for, for social connection, cohesion, the workplace and beyond. Um, and I'm just so excited to stay in touch and see how everything evolves next year. You're the best. Well, what a thoughtful facilitated conversation. And I just love it. You're, you're, you're an inspiration. So thank you, Tiff. Thanks for doing this. Awesome. Thank you, Arthur. And thank you guys so much for listening. We're going to include all of Arthur's and Matheson's information in the show notes so you guys can stay in touch. If you're ever looking to be involved in DEI, now you know who to go to. And um, again, if you feel up uplifted or shifted in any way from this conversation, you know, please stay tuned for next week's episode and please share, subscribe, review um, to help us amplify these stories far and wide. Thanks so much, guys. The Alt Normal. 
This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow. If you enjoyed this conversation, please show us the love. You can subscribe, share, or leave a review. We'd be so grateful to help us amplify these stories far and wide. Thanks so much.